Welcome back to It Starts Now, the happy hour of finance and business. My name is Stanley, and I have a special guest for today's show. My guy Juan stopped by. Juan Perez Perez is actually in marketing, co-founder of Hybrid Media. Yep. Uh, it's interesting because I, I was doing the research and, and diving in, and I noticed that it said multicultural marketing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is that? Like, can you break it down? But before we do that, can you please introduce yourself? Sure. Um, let the people know uh, your title, what is it that you do, sure. and what got you to this point? What got me to this point? Wow, that's a, that, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, um, I'm the CEO of, of Hybrid Media, also the managing partner of Paramore LLC. We'll talk a little bit more about okay. what that what that is but essentially that that's our holding company um and um so what what got us to this point it's a it's been a long journey yeah it's been a long journey um i I've, i feel like i've always been an entrepreneur but um you know hybrid itself uh has gone through many different phases mm-hmm. matter of fact um, before we were, before hybrid electric vehicles right, right. were even a thing, right? Um, hybrid existed. Hybrid media existed. So, um, you know, a, a lot of people think that we have some sort of uh, relationship to hybrid vehicles. It's it hasn't. It's not the case. Not not the case. Right. It, it was really um, the name came about because. Um, we were in, in entertainment at that point, mm-hmm. and uh, we were the formulation of two organizations at that co- at that point. And a hybrid is two things oh. kind of coming together, so that's where the name came from. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. And the multicultural marketing, like break that down. Yeah. So um, when we first started out, we were a billboard company. So we contracted and sold, um, resold. Uh, ads on billboards, mm-hmm. out, what we would call outdoor advertising or out of home. And um, the interesting thing was uh, we weren't unique. Um, you know, Why is that? It was a dime a dozen. Oh, you okay, know, okay. there was a million guys out there, you know, selling, you know, billboards, ads in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my background is in radio. Uh, my business partner's background um, is in sales, comes from Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. And um, through my relationships in radio, um, and particularly working at CBS, CBS at the time uh, cornered the market in out-of-home or right. outdoor advertising. Um, they've since sold off pieces of that uh, as the industry has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we, we essentially were wanted, so I, I saw the, the potential in that. Okay. Um, and essentially wanted to to get a piece of the pie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as we, you know, sold these ads, people we realized that people were actually coming to us not necessarily for what we were selling, mm-hmm. but who we were and who we knew. Oh. So, um, you know, especially here in New York City, mm-hmm. um, you know, areas like this, Southeast Queens, um areas uh you know ethnic enclaves in Mm -hmm. um, south florida chicago um we realized that a lot of marketers were really trying to understand those marketplaces right right and yeah they might buy an ad 
but that was their invitation or their their ticket to have mm-hmm. a conversation with us mm-hmm. to sort of pick our brains about the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the areas that we were just as as really taken us to um, you know the company leaps and bounds is the the Caribbean marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, Did for, you stumble into that, or that's something that you guys talk? Well, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we're um, I'm a second generation Dominican American. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother's family's from from Barbados. My my dad's family's from DR, and my business partner he's from um, Jamaica. Um, I think it's kind of ingrained in, you know, New Yorkers, mm-hmm. uh, especially black New Yorkers, that there's some level of a, you know, a, a connection to the Caribbean in some, some way, shape or form. You know, uh, we got stuck in the middle passage somehow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I think the, the, what we realized, and this is one of the things that a lot of our, our market, the marketers that we work with didn't realize was that. Caribbean um, consumers and, mm-hmm. and traditional Black consumers um, buy very differently. How so? Well, um, the generational divides. Mm-hmm. So you know the 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 first generation immigrant um, who comes to this country uh, very much keeps and tries to hold the traditions of quote unquote back home, mm-hmm. and um, many of those traditions aren't necessarily traditions that are upheld here and um you know not banking at a traditional bank you know holding mm-hmm. money under the mattress yeah. um so the know, cliche is true there's a lot of cliches but i think the cliches oftentimes um are formulate assumptions about a an industry or excuse me a marketplace that that you need to base your your marketing around mm-hmm. right um you know trends right um, and the interesting thing is that the second generation, like myself, second generation Dominican, this kind of goes the complete opposite. Yeah. You know, uh, it tries to assimilate as much as possible. Is it because you're Americanized? Um, trying to be less like our parents, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, if, if you actually look at it, um, and many of the, you know, if you dive into the roots of hip hop, mm-hmm. Um, the generational divide of, you know, those that came from the, that are part of the diaspora, um, really drove that rebellious attitude, right? you know, trying to be different from the, from our parents and what they listened to and Mm -hmm. what they wore and, and what they ate and the way that they moved. Um, drove what was you know part of uh, the hip hop generation. So, um, so you, do you think that we're a byproduct of, of a lot as as we get older? Because I still see people in their forties still got the hip hop ways mm-hmm. versus um, back in the days when people used to turn around thirty five. You see them conforming more into like our, our parents, you know, style changes, and they they let go of some of that youth, youthism and more into like adulthood. Yeah. But we're now like we're growing up with hip hop. So I think that we are, do you think we are a byproduct of it as we get older? Guys still want to, and, and ladies still want to be fresh, still want to. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting because I think there's, you know, there's, there's generations now, multiple generations of, of you know, black Americans that don't know an America without hip hop, you know, it's, it, I think it's an interesting 
an interesting question because again, I, I think that um, I I remember a time when hip hop was sort of like uh, developing, right? Right, and I think there's a lot of you know young people that they just grew up in it. You know, um, there's professionals that never actually heard Biggie, you know, on the radio. True. Um, and, and you have that experience. Right. We, we're going to touch back on the um, multicultural thing back in the uh, Caribbean island, but you also worked for Hot 97 or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, and I worked at Hot 97 a really interesting, really, really interesting time. Uh, you know, matter of fact, I remember, you ever seen the movie Brown Sugar? Yes. All right. That's so, a classic. Yes. All right. So, so though. <laughs> yeah, it is, it, it is a little, little bit of a, a, little little bit of a hard movie, but but that's around the time that I was working there. Okay. Um, and you know, Star and Buck Wild um, had at that time overthrown um, uh, uh, Howard Stern for the first time mm-hmm. in his career, and that's about the time that Howard Stern bolted for for uh, for satellite radio. Um, as a result. Um, so, you know, I was a radio head right, right. and, um, really into, uh, sort of the, the different, all the different components of radio, but, um, to see how the culture was driven by not just the music, right. but like the DJs, you know, um, the, the, the record companies at that time, it was like the, the, um, uh, what do you call those? The, the. The uh, the groups that the DJs had, you know, um, they had formulated these these conglomerates like the big dog uh, pit bulls. Oh yeah, and, you yeah, know yeah. the yeah. So um, it was, was it around the time that Biggie and them were coming up. That was after because okay. I I left hot in two thousand two. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it sounds like a long time ago, but um, yeah, I left hot in two thousand two after nine eleven. Okay. Um, so, but right before 9-11 was, in my opinion, probably the height of, because uh, they, you know, at that time they were owned by MS Communications mm-hmm. and MS owned not only Hot 97, but KISS FM um, and CD 101.9. And those were the three, you know, top radio stations in there, um, you know, for their, for their genre. So um, just kind of seeing how the, the music not only influenced, and that was the first time I re- recognized that, that hip hop was not just about the music. It was not just about the culture, but it was about the business as well. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was uh, what really made me pay more attention, sit up and pay more attention mm-hmm. to, um, to our people. And, and when I say cultural, it's not just about, you know, the the traditional divides that we may have, you know, ethnic or or racial divides, but also the cultural divides that that sort of drive, you know, who we are and what we're all about. Did it change the landscape for the better, or do you think it changed the landscape in a sense where it, it created division? See, I, I think the only way that you can you can appropriately answer that question, now I have the 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 you know the advantage of hindsight mm-hmm. right and i think in the moment um we don't have that advantage like right now everybody's going to say oh you know 2000 and 
you know, uh, two, 2021, 2020 were, were the worst years ever, right? Right. The truth of the matter is um, it changed things. And there's going to be some amazing, there have been some amazing innovations that come out of, you know, people losing jobs, mm -hmm. um, people making a, a pivot in their, you know, in their focus as far as their business is concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I know for, for a fact that, you know, uh, black Americans have trended heavily over indexing in, um, learning about finance, Yeah, you know, uh, investing in the market. Mm -hmm. It's not something we ever did before, no, no, no. you know, and even a focus on that has never been something that has been sexy, you know, as it right. relates to our people. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of trends that generally speaking, you'll have to five, 10 years from now, we can, we can answer that as far as, you know, looking back at that era and that time, I think, it, you know, everything, most, most uh, transitional periods are, are for the better. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I don't think that, um, that period of time where the artist, um, the, and I mean the artists in terms of all of the artists, not just the music artists, but, you know, the DJs, the, the club owners, mm -hmm. you know, um, even the, the visual artists had taken control of, of, of the culture. Um, you know, at that time they were talking about, you know, 360, um, these 360 contracts that they're right. signing with record labels. Mm -hmm. We see a lot more of that now. You I know? think that's probably the norm right now. Correct. Correct. Whereas the big conglomerates were, were in charge of things. They mm -hmm. controlled everything. And it decentralized, it kind of dri driven, at the time, had driven this concept of decentralization. Right. You know, um, and, and allowing the user that control. Even at that time, there may have been like sort of a, um, mm -hmm. a focus on, uh, remember Napster? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and being able to download music and, and sort of control how you listen to music. Before that, um, it was always controlled by, this is the album. You got to listen to it in this sequential order. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's not how we consume music. Anymore. No, no, no. Especially, um, I don't know. I think the more control that I have of my playlist, the less of my playlist becomes attractive. Correct. And the reason I say that, because I... I don't like listening to the radio, but I find myself like on a Friday night or something, I'll turn on the radio because I want to hear a different mixture, mm -hmm. right? We want to hear the DJs really that skillful, really display their skills, right? And, right? and then play multiple tracks, even if it's old tracks, new tracks, but the blending is a lot more proficient than um, something I would play on my playlist, mm -hmm. right? But I agree that everything um, innovated from there and then we, we're still growing. Right. There's still a lot of room for more innovation to come. Um, but I just want to get your point of view from a marketing standpoint. Right. How did that made you say, you know, I'm going to go into this direction. Like this is this is where I see it's going and this is where I want to pioneer towards. It's a, it's a really interesting question. I, I consider myself an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people who consider themselves an entrepreneur. I know that I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I think I've always been that way. Um, you know, my first business was in, uh, the, uh, outside of DC when I, when I moved there, uh, for high school, mm -hmm. uh, cutting grass. Right. And, you know, I saw all these lawns out there. 
Brooklyn kid, man, moved out there for high school. And I said, man, people got lawns out here? Who <laughs> cuts them, you know? Yeah. Um, and then not just, you know, who cuts them, who cuts the shrubs and, you know, um, puts out the, the, the mulch and right, the, right, all right. that other stuff. So, you know, and at that time I saw, you know, especially like South Americans and Mexican Americans that really jumped into that, you mm-hmm. know, and, and made, some, made a little way for themselves. And I said, I can do this. You know, and I, I think I have a, a community uh, feel about me where I can, you know, talk of uh, these white folks out there and, and make a little bit of money. So um, I did that for for a while and, and recognized that I had a uh, a spirit for it. And you know, I think us as a as a people, um, mm-hmm. you know, black and brown people have a uh, entrepreneurial spirit uh, ingrained within us. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge is not uh, fostered. Mm. It's not cultivated. Um, one of the things that I, I notice um, all the time, you know, I, I don't know why we've gotten into hip hop, you know, that hip hop discussion, but yeah. uh, it's interesting because, um, you know, I, I love trains and whenever I can, I'll ride the New York City subways, right? right? But one of the things you see on the subways all the time is the kid who asks you, hey, I'm selling candy, right. trying to stay off the streets. Right, I'm not right. selling it for my basketball team. Right, right, and right. and it, that's a pitch, right? That's yeah. a marketing pitch, right? right? And they got it down pat. Yeah. You know, they probably got it from their buddy. Um, but, you know, I always keep um, $2 in my pocket. Just for them. Just for them. And um, because I want to talk to them. Right. And it's not about, you know, I, I usually get the um, the little uh, the fruit snacks. Mm-hmm. That's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I I, w- I want to talk to them, see what their motivation is, because far too often that's entrepreneurship. Yeah, you know, that's a startup. Yeah, it's a startup. They've mm-hmm. gotten their their capital investment, right? Mm-hmm. They went and they bought their their boxes. They taped them together because that's what they do, right? right they tape right. them so it's one cohesive unit. Right. And, you know, they look at what they're, they, they diversify, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all right, well, I know that, you know, on yeah. a, on a two train, I might get some, some additional peanut clients, yeah. you know, they diversify, you know, the portfolio a little bit of what they're offering. Right. And then what they do is they look at their profits. Right. And then they decide, they make a decision about what they're going to do with those profits and they're going to reinvest or or are they going to spend it? Yeah. And how much are they spending? Yeah. And how much are they reinvesting? That's that's so interesting because I never looked at it that way. Yeah. Right. And it is teaching them even how to deal with wholesaler. Right. Right. Because now they got to go, right. uh, probably go to BJ's, BJ's Costco, something right. like that. Right. right. And then they buy it wholesale, sell it retail. And it, it, in like you said, have uh, diversity within their products. And then you go out there and then you have to make that pitch. So every, I didn't, I never looked at it that way. That's yep. crazy because it is the startup. Yep. It's, it is learning business, business 101 from the start. But those are the same principles that will carry you along because those are the same principles that apply to running a big company. Yep. Yep. And the thing is, I mean, you know, historically in this country, we're always talking about the lemonade stand. Right. That's our lemonade stand. Mm-hmm. You know, that is our lemonade stand. And um, but the, the issue is that now they see that little bit of money that they are making and they have to make that decision. Unfortunately, the only 
entrepreneurs in our communities historically mm-hmm. have been the drug dealers and the rappers. What, that we've seen. That we've seen, oh, yeah. right. That, right. you know, that have taken the time to talk to those young right. men. Mm-hmm. And far too often they fall victim to the streets. Right. And, um, you know. Because that's the only option that they see. That they see. That they're familiar, they're familiar, familiar with. with. They're right. familiar with. And I think that's one of the benefits of, of this pandemic. You know, um, especially in a lockdown period, we've got, we had an opportunity to focus on some different things. You know, um, we've seen, uh, you know, an influx of of people looking at YouTube and and various different digital uh, means to to learn Mm -hmm. more, Um, have have invested in their their own educational paths, you know, outside of the traditional educational paths, which I think is important. And I think our, our, our young people have more access than they did in the in, in the past. Even by by having to now be home right. learning. I you think know. that, and I said this before, uh, YouTube changed the landscape where before you had to get hired to get some skill sets. Correct. And now you can learn these skills from home and on your laptop, on your phone, any any way you can get um, the streaming service and learn these skills and then go out and get contracted right right so i think youtube has changed the landscape and you're right it is given a lot of opportunities for individuals to really see what works for them right whereas before that you know i had to go to school get a job get some experience learn some things and then I can decide where I want to go because now I got something on, underneath my belt. Whereas now they can play with different things. You can learn as multiple things as possible within the realm of whatever you, your capability right. and then go out there and get contracted for things. like. And I think it is a great thing, but they also expose school. Yes. All right. Yes. It, it exposed that. It, yes. it leaves you open that why am I paying so much to go learn something that I can actually learn at home for free? But I think also it's it's about disruption, right? It's disrupting the educational model. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing is, you know, his, historical models, if you're not um, looking for those disruptors, then you're not doing your job. You know, whether it's the music industry, like we talked about, um, whether it's newspapers and, right. and media, um, you know, if it's religion, you know, how religion is being even consumed these days. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many, you know, market disruptors out there and it's good. It's it's innovative. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, advertising. It used to be and, I, I, you know, a lot of people don't realize the disruption in marketing and advertising. Right. Mm-hmm. Um it used to be that I didn't want to give people my information. Remember, it was like, why am I filling out these forms? They're taking my, I need to stay off the grid, right? right. But now with things like Google and Apple, Amazon, mm-hmm. think about how much data exists. My ability to stay off the grid, if you will, is impossible, Yeah. right? It's just not possible. It's about how much information am I willing to give relative to how much information you really need on me, right? So 
everybody's seen this happen, right? You scrolling through Instagram and you see, you know, I was just talking about this. How is this thing popping up here on my algorithm? And, 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 you know, <laughs> it's, it's all about the algorithm. Mm-hmm. And there's some, you know, there's some debate. Um, it's controversial mm-hmm. about you know cooking and and you know even in in the EU they've cracked down on a lot of that. Sure. But there's also debate about how many times have we actually purchased because of the algorithm, mm-hmm. you know? Um, you know, I've found some really interesting products because of the algorithm. True. You know, things that I wanted. But uh, is it is it that you're being manipulated to buy it? That's it. That's the thing. It's like, would I, I agree? Is it is one thing if I came across something that I wanted mm-hmm. versus that some the algorithm is saying, no, you I think based off of this, you should you get should this, want it. You should want this. And now I'm searching. Is it making me a consumer by choice? Or is it making me a consumer by influence? I think it's it's a it, I would look at it differently. Okay. I think it's about the consumer. And I think far too often the consumer plays the victim. Mm-hmm. Break it and down. the 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 marketing has existed for for generations, you know, from from the, the dawn of time, right? It's about power and influence. Um how can I I've always said that one of the, the my definitions of what marketing is is the high art of getting people to separate from their money. Mm. That's all it is, right? Because at the end of the day, it's about what is that process, how quickly does that process take, and whether or not you're going to choose me or my competitor. But we earn money not to save it, to spend it at some point, right? You know, mm-hmm. and sometimes a competitor can be, you know, a direct competitor or it can be something else. Mm-hmm. Do I choose to buy this house or do I choose to go on vacation? Mm. That's a decision I make. Right. And I got to be responsible for those decisions. Right. Whether they're right or wrong, you know, how I wind up, right. you know, do I buy the car, <laughs> right. you know, or those or do I the- save? Exactly. Right. So those are decisions that con- the consumer makes. Um, helping us to make more informed decisions, I think, is what marketing is all about, and especially from a digital perspective. Mm-hmm. And this really gets into what, you know, who I um, am and what our company is all about is utilizing that data and trying to do so in a responsible way, mm-hmm. um, in a way that doesn't um, take advantage of our communities. Um, one of our clients, uh, now called Metro by T-Mobile, but right. at the time was called Metro PCS, um, love, love them, um, because they always recognized who they were and they were never delusional about who they were. They were the value, uh, you know, carrier, right. They, you know, before they got bought by T-Mobile, Metro PCS was the value cons- um, carrier, mm-hmm. right? And I, I don't say cheap. Is about what value can we provide to our, you know, uh, customers in a way that is understandable. Forty dollars flat, you get your phone, right? You know your service. Right. You ain't got to worry about all the tax fees and all that is rolled right away. Simplify it. That's not for everybody. No, 
but for a, a certain segment of the population, that was that was for them. Especially if you a young kid going to school, easy. And you if know? I'm a parent and I want to give a child a phone, that's probably the most right. available. And what what is important to those? It's the phone, right? Is it you know? It's not about hey, look, I might get a couple phone you know calls dropped, but. You understand that that's... But you have access to a phone. I got access to a phone. I got access to one of the newer phones, the glitzier phones. And I don't need to now pay for a phone, you know, every two years. You know, they 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 built that into the into the contract. And, and you know, the, the way that the phone models have, have, uh, have changed a little bit in recent years. But I really learned a lot. Um, you know, from my time with them, mm -hmm. um, as Metro, um, PCS now, now owned by, you know, Metro by T-Mobile, um, about how a, you know, a national, uh, company approaches our marketplace and they wanted to learn. They said, look, I don't understand why our stores and they get real granular in terms of really talking about New York, right? Mm -hmm. I don't understand why our stores that are south of Eastern Parkway do not do well. But our stores that are north of Eastern Parkway do well when we market to African-Americans. Well, I can explain that to you very easily because there are no African-Americans south of Eastern Parkway. Mm -hmm. They're Caribbean Americans and they consume differently. Well, what do you mean? They look all the same. Mm -hmm. That's the mistake. Right, right. Assuming that Everyone is the same. Exactly. And that education was the value that we provide them in helping them to understand their customer and how they approach their customer. Mm -hmm. So we did things like, you know, um, centered around Carnival and things centered around the Caribbean um, American experience that made a lot more sense than, you know, what they thought was an African-American consumer. Um, and yes, there, there is some mixing there, right? right. Um, I don't want to act like they're, the, the, the two groups are, are totally mutually ex exclusive of one another. But I think that's what marketing is about, is making some assumptions mm -hmm. um, based on the, 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 the majority of a population. That's interesting. And I always thought Metro PCS was like a Caribbean thing. Right. Right. And now that you broke it down, that you guys help educate them in pursuing a, a different target audience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's great that you show them the differences. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, they were still targeting us. Yeah. Yeah. But I think they were also giving back to, and that's where the value proposition came into play was understanding who their marketplace was um, and is um, and understanding that they can't be apart from the community. They need to be a part of the community. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, especially in the early days of Barclay Center, mm -hmm. um, they were a major sponsor, understanding that this was a community that we wanted to be a part of and they invested in the community. You know, um, it's, it's funny because uh, a lot of people, a lot of other organizations looked at that model. If you if you look at um, uh, what is it? Um, I'm trying to think of what that gym is called. Not Planet Fitness, but the other one. Um, Crunch. No. Uh, 
24? No, I'm forgetting. Okay. But, but Blink. Blink. Yes. Okay. Blink Fitness, mm -hmm. right? So Blink Fitness. If you look at Blink Fitness, mm -hmm. Blink Fitness very much follows the same model. As a matter of fact, next time you look, look at Blink Fitness and then look if you walk within a block radius, you will always find a Metro PCS or Metro Viking. Mm. So they use their market research to open up their locations. I know that for a fact. Because mm -hmm. they were going after the same audience. Ah. Makes sense, man. And at the time, mm -hmm. you know, and, and Blink Fitness is actually a, a subsidiary of Equinox. Mm hmm so equinox is the much more high-end brand yeah, that's right? the high-end brand that's I think the high, like, uh, highest damn brand yeah right? it was like 800 a month or something, something crazy like, yeah it was you crazy. know I, I don't have money for equinox <laughs> <laughs> but um you know uh they blink was going after and matter of fact that's why blink approached us they were like yo what are you what, what is your strategy like, right we want, we want the playbook um and it wasn't about um you know so it, it became very evident to us mm -hmm. that, oh, you, you all are targeting the very same communities. And then I would look at their maps, mm -hmm. overlay them with the maps that we had for, for at that time, Metro PCS. I was like, you're opening up stores all within, you yeah. know, a, a couple block radius of all of our locations. That's interesting because I, I don't remember if it was, um, I forgot the name of it, but there was there were a few companies that follow Walmart. Wherever Walmart opens up, mm -hmm. they open up as well too. And I thought it was a coincidence, but now that you're pointing it out, that people do follow um, certain companies' model or roadmaps in order for them to why not get, get established? Why not? If you're going after the same audience, you and and, and it's different. It's, it's one thing if you're going after the same audience but separate products. Then, yeah, they're different products. But when you're following a trend <laughs> yeah. with the same product, it doesn't make sense right. because you, you, you're getting probably like a margin of that share because they already have it already. They established. And, you know, and there is another client that I have that I won't mention um, that actually saw the market share being mm -hmm. dwindled by, uh, by Metro by T-Mobile. Had to offset that. Mm. Because it's all market share game. Right. I, I, you know, at the point of cell phones are saturated, right? Right. Everyone has one. Mm -hmm. It's about what is the market share? How many of, you know, what percentage of the population are on my carry? Right. You know, that's the game these days. You know, can I get you to switch from, from your current carry to my carry? It's not, I'm not selling anybody, you know? Right. <laughs> you know, there aren't any net new uh, cell phone uh, no. customers. From, from, but most of these are franchise or no? So they the the way their models are so they yes, it's it's similar to how um the their independent retailers mm -hmm. um that buy into it used to be like a, a lot of those pagers stores back in the day that used You're to right. sell pagers and like all that kind of stuff. Um they turned into cell phone stores, right? And they would carry a couple different carriers. Um, now the cell phone providers don't want them to do that. They want them to exclusively commit to one of to their one, yeah. Okay. So a lot of the stores, if you notice, will say authorized retailer underneath the name. 
Um, so that's sort of the model. And then they have core stores. They have the stores that are, you know, Verizon, AT&T, Metro by T-Mobile, AT&T, yeah. you know. And you had AT&T at one point, right? Yes. As a client. AT&T right? is, is actually a current client. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, um, they, you know, the interesting thing with AT&T is, uh, AT&T is not just a Fortune 500 company. They're a Fortune 10 company. Mm. They're, they're huge right huge um but you know and this kind of goes into who we are today is you know at at our core hy- what hybrid media is right is we focus on three different areas mm-hmm. we focus on um alignment enablement mm-hmm. and measurement okay mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the, so, the radiator, right? Yeah. <laughs> old school, yeah, old school. Right? <laughs> 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 yeah, At least you know it's working. <laughs> that's a good point, right there. Yeah, at least you know it's working. You know, it's better How's than the old time. You want some yeah, more? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 this, is, this is um incredible stuff that's that, that, uh, Thank right, you. Yeah, black John, John. Hey, they said I put out the best for you. Bro, you told me that. I'm not going to say that. I'm afraid to pour the wine into this. A wine, wine glass? glass? Yeah, it's like. It's not kosher, man. man. Listen. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm going to say it. It broke. I uh... <laughs> I'm I'm a red solo cup guy, you know, wine in the red solo cup, it tastes yeah. the same. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Shake it around a little bit, get the talk the what they call it, the tannins. The tannins, uh, yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah, but it's hard to spin it with this one. Oh yeah, the Yeah, you like like you know. It's all right though. All right, so you were saying three parts. Yeah. So you know, it's, it's, uh, you talked about the journey, right? And <laughs> it's been a long, 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 long journey. Um, <laughs> so I won't get, cause we could be here for, for years, yeah. you know, talking about this journey. But again, hybrid started out as an entertainment company. We were actually called hybrid entertainment mm-hmm. at one point. And hybrid entertainment started when we were in college, matter of fact. So I graduated from West Virginia University in 2001. Right. And if, that's, if the, he, that's yeah, the back one. <laughs> it comes in from two separate sides. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, I graduated from West Virginia in 2001. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, you know, a bunch of friends of ours, you know, we were working on some music projects and um, essentially uh, we started doing mixtapes and, you know, which were very, very popular at the time. And the the idea and the concept was that, we would sell sponsorships on these mixtapes. Now, I have to take you back to 2001. Right. Because even in the movie, we talked about, you know, um, you know, Brown Sugar, it was this concept of selling out. Yeah. 
you know, remember the, yeah. what was it? The, the Dalmatians? The Dal- yeah. Yeah. You know, they sold out, right? Um, so corporate sponsorship and music and art were two totally separate worlds. And if you tried to get into the same world, right. you would sell out, bro. Remember that, I right? remember that. I remember but that. now how how is everybody, everybody, if you're not taking advantage of the, the partnerships, you know, from a corporate perspective, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And people see need to to kind of make sure that they always keep that, that in, you know, mm-hmm. in, in sort of historical... Uh, you know, references in and foremost in their mind. Right. So what we did is the first, the very first mixtape that we sold um, was what we called the Breakfast Sampler of Champions. What's that based off of? Breakfast of Champions. Okay. Um, Bring it home for me. So uh, General Mills okay. um, at the time was, you know, again, looking to target certain you know, demographic groups and they, you know, this hip hop thing. It's like, we want to be involved. Mm-hmm. Right. And we were just looking to, to, you know, we had like old factory in, in, in the house, you know, we had CD burners and all kinds of stuff. So we're like, we just need you to cover costs. And it was a few thousand dollars. They yeah. costs. And we mm-hmm. said, Hey, we'll do the graphics, make it look like, cause at that time, remember every year they would have a, a breakfast of champions cover person right you know the athlete of the year was uh, i remember it. now you remember yeah. right yeah so we took that and we put ourselves on the cover of this mixtape and called it the breakfast sampler of champions which was a sample sample of you know the music that we we were putting out mm-hmm. and we we brought the artists on et cetera, et cetera. right most people don't really know this about about me, by the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, is the it's, rap career? Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, a drink. It's, it's a drink. So, <laughs> so I, I never, you know, I was never an MC myself. Right. I was more um, into production. Um, but you know, it was the business of it that I really enjoyed. That's what attracted you. Yeah, it was the business of it, and you know, I, I got off track before, but I, you know, like I've always said, and I tell people this all the time. Yes, I am. A, people say, "Oh, you're the you're the this perf- um, ex- expert." Look, in this day and age, if you're an expert at anything, it means you're not learning. Mm. Say that again. If you're an expert at anything, it means you're not learning. Yeah, I always call That's myself a stop, professional. Yeah, you stop your growth. You stop your growth, mm-hmm. right? And I'm always looking for to to learn because our industry, like most industries, is still growing. And technology and innovations are coming in daily. Mm-hmm. And if I don't take you know, stock in that and consistently make sure that me and my team are staying abreast of what the, the new innovations are in our industry and making sure that we're doing right by our clients, mm-hmm. then you know, we're gonna fall behind. Right. You know, and that's where that market disruption and what we, we were talking about earlier really plays an important part. Right. So from 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 making you know mixtapes and understanding that we had an opportunity to to sell um you know we thought about hey what if we we did um you know created a songs or or a tracks for these corporate you know companies they they wanted nothing to do with that mm-hmm. you know and we realized part of it was because hip hop especially at that time was all about sampling Mm. 
Drum is a big thing. It's yeah. a big thing, yeah. right? Pop, that, was, that was made made pop. Made pop, right? But the thing was that the 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 samples that they, a lot of these artists were taking were from music that was owned by artists that had long, you know, gotten out of the industry. Didn't have the capital to be able to hire the lawyers to sue this and plus it wasn't worth the time. Right. So what we did was we started a different company because we wanted to keep all of our samples, you know, that we had in the music safeguarded from what we were now going after as a marketing and advertising company. Mm -hmm. And that's when we started Hybrid Outdoor. So- Was it, it, did you pivot at that point? It was absolutely a pivot. I'll tell you exactly when that pivot, I can pinpoint the day. Okay. It was November 4th, 2004. And you may not know that date, but if I tell you what happened that night, it was the election of George Bush the second night. Mm. Why was that so important? Because we, at the time, you know, George Bush was our Trump. You know, that's some truth to that. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. And again, because like, we did view it, we we viewed we it very view much it, the it, same it, way. Yeah, very much the same way. Mm-hmm. And we were like, you know. Um, damn, this is going to be another four years of this. Because it was inevitable at that point. It was just like, this is what's going to happen. You know, there was no uh, uh, way that we were, you know, it it was a foregone conclusion. Right. And I remember me and and my buddies were sitting in the basement and saying, hey, what are we going to do? And we we strategized. And it was a strategy session. You know, we... Mm -hmm. Probably had a few drinks, you know, maybe some weed. I don't know. I, just, I don't remember. <laughs> Disclaimer. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the basement in Southeast Queens in, in Rosedale, and we came up with some ideas. And one of the ideas that we had at that time, I was still working. Um, I had just left. Um, no, I was still working. Yeah, I was still working as, um, in radio, but I was over at, at CBS working for actually <laughs> um for Don Imus um and WFAN mm-hmm. and we were saying hey we need to actually find a revenue source to fund our music projects right right and that's where that, the hybrid outdoor came into play we because i was working at CBS CBS had CBS outdoor mm-hmm. they owned all of new york city subway uh bus uh, Long Island Railroad, Metro North advertising. Right. Right. And I, I thought, hey, we could sell ads on trains. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, 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 you can't do that. CBS owns that. So they co- they got a like conglomerate or they, monopoly. They, they had a monopoly. Yeah. They had a monopoly and a contract. I think at that time it was five year contracts. It, it, they, 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 where they were the exclusive holder of that property. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to buy ads, you had to go through them. Right. I didn't understand that at the time. Right. Right. But I worked at that time for CBS, not CBS Outdoor, but CBS Radio. Right. You know, same. Uh, Corporation, Viacom, it was all the same stuff at the time. It's been decentralized since. But I said, well, what can we sell? And this is when, you know, maybe it was weed, maybe it was, and I don't smoke, but, uh, um, you know. Where the connection was made. It was where the connection was made where we said, well, how can we, A, help our people, help ourselves, and make money. 
right? And we said, well, what is there out there to sell like the, you know, New York City transit system? Got it. Dollar bills. Mm. So that's where we got our start as a marketing company is we became the exclusive Right, for Dollar Van promotion. Industry. That's dope. So, again, remember I had a background in radio, mm-hmm. working at, at Hot 97. I had a lot of connections and working with, you know, because at that time it was about, you know, Summer Jam. They would wrap right. a million, you know, uh, trucks and, and cars and things like that. So, I had a lot of connections in that. So, I said, what if we wrap Dollar Vans with our clients' messaging? Uh, you know, I don't know. It's never been done before. Yeah. So we went out there and did it. And our first client, never forget, was a company, um, Royal Healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they, at that time, were a, a no and low cost healthcare company that mm-hmm. was looking to target people in, you know, the the um, in New York City mm-hmm. and uh, healthcare. Um, excuse me. Um, um, it, they provide healthcare services, but insurance. So um, to to people who had you know were low income or no income, and um, you know I can remember our first check that came in. I was like, whoa, ten thousand dollars. Look at this. All right, what are we gonna do with this? Again, that conversation that I had with the you know about the kids. Yeah. You know, and they were like, yo, let's divvy it up. Nah. We're gonna reinvest this in the business. Mm-hmm. And it's probably one of the smartest decisions we did we made. Um, you know, we 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 purchased some equipment, like some, you know, some printers. I still have the shredder that we we purchased. Yeah. Still works. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and you know, reinvested it in the company. And we went after some other companies. One of the our, our early clients was actually uh Universal Circus. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some would be some of the other early clients. Oh, a great story. Um, was actually um, Air Jamaica. We got Air Jamaica as well. Yes. So Air Jamaica doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Most people don't recognize that. Air Jamaica, um, was actually at that time its own individual airline. Mm-hmm. It was the, the national airline for Jamaica. Right. Right? Jamaicans took pride in that. You know, you, you rode on the plane, had the flag, you know, they loved the flag. Right. Love <laughs> the flag, right? Like I said, my business partner is Jamaica. And um and but you know, tough economic times necessitated that Jamaica needed to be sold. Mm-hmm. So it was sold to a company at that time called BB. And BWE, which is B-W-I-A, right, uh, was a Trini company. Mm. And, you know, for people who live here in New York City, you know that Trinis and Jamaicans yeah. don't generally mix like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't get along too tough. Yeah. Rough so, edges, rough edges. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, when it was announced that BWE was going to be purchasing Air Jamaica, it was like, oh, they're doing this on purpose. Mm. So it became like a little tussle. It became a tussle. And but they didn't know that BW was gonna actually rebrand as what is now known as Caribbean Airlines. Mm. So for a long time, people would not Jamaicans would not 
ride with Caribbean Airlines. They just wouldn't do it. They would fly at that time. American uh, uh, American Airlines also flew to Jamaica. Mm-hmm. They would actually pay more money than to ride a Caribbean airline. Correct. And you know that's the unfortunate thing about how our people look at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, it was because of discussions that we had and feedback that we got from the community, and this is what really sold us on that: the fact that we were on the right path as it related to multicultural marketing was that that data. That information, those anecdotal stories that we, because they could see it in the data. Mm-hmm. People are not flying to Jamaica. Why? Why aren't these flights filling up? Right. And the only people who were flying were white folks. Mm-hmm. You know, the the one love commercials. Right. <laughs> that was the only people who were flying, right? So what they actually did was they broke out the Air Jamaica brand separately. Oh, so so they divided. They brought it back. Mm. But who brought it back? Caribbean Airlines, still owned okay. by Caribbean, Caribbean Airlines. Airlines. All right, but it was it it was now a subsidiary or right, a right. division. But it was of, all about the title. Of, well, I'm glad that you brought up timing because if you're going to the Caribbean, what airline are you flying? Think about it. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go if I'm well. We got to think about the time too, because now I probably would fly like a Delta or American Airlines. But I guess if I'm if I'm a Caribbean base, I'm gonna take Caribbean Airlines. Okay, JetBlue. Really? JetBlue started flying to the Caribbean because they saw an opportunity. Mm-hmm. People started they they were doing direct flights from New York um, at that time. Uh, um, um, Atlanta mm-hmm. and certain enclaves where there were Caribbean folks to directly to the Caribbean. Mm. And on, honestly, that was a huge, huge win for JetBlue. For JetBlue. Yeah, especially if they privately own. So they really scaled by t- jumping on that opportunity. Correct. And, you know, during that, that time where Caribbean Airlines couldn't, couldn't figure it out. Um, you know, they, they took advantage of that. Another, another example of that would be, remember there was, and it still exists to this day, but there was this huge, huge move to coconut water. Yeah. You remember? I and remember. it was all of these companies that came out with these little coconut water brands, coconut and pineapple, coconut and this, <laughs> coconut and that, you know, but there were all these like, you know, um, Grace Kennedy, which was, you know, the number one. You know, it was, it's like the craft, if you will, of the Caribbean had always had coconut water, but they never marketed it. They Mm. only marketed it to the diaspora. They marketed it to people like us. They never thought that the general population, white folks, would actually purchase coconut water. Coconut water. So when this craze hit, they were not prepared for the market disruption. And they never took advantage of it. Mm. Because they, they scale too quickly. And that can hurt a lot of people too when things move too fast and you're not prepared. Not prepared. You, you, you need to be not thinking about today. You need to be thinking about tomorrow. So I know we started the, the, this particular discussion uh, talking about three basic tenets, right? Mm-hmm. And that I see in a what I call a revenue operation, RevOps. 
right, is there's three tenants. You have marketing, you have sales, and you have service, mm-hmm. right? And it was always thought that the sales model was what you would look at as like a funnel, right? You pour leads into the top of the funnel. Some of the leads won't convert into sales. And then at the, the bottom of the funnel is an output, which is a customer, mm-hmm. right? But what happens with that customer? Well, the customer doesn't always stay a customer. At some point, they may need to buy again, right? Which means that you need to put them back into, into the top. Of, and now they may filter down a lot quicker because they're familiar with your service. Mm-hmm. But if your service operation sucks, they're going to go someplace else. Mm. So we started to think about it not anymore as a funnel, but a flywheel. And if you, you know what, like a pinwheel, Mm -hmm. one of those pinwheel things, Mm -hmm. right? The pinwheel, you put it on your lawn, right? And the wind would blow Mm -hmm. and it would start to spin, Mm -hmm. right? And if you notice, as it would start to spin, it would spin faster, 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 right? What would slow it down would be what we refer to as friction, right? Mm -hmm. Friction is, you know, I had a, a minor in physics, right? So friction is what slows things down. The force against something that'll slow it down. Far too too often, we put, especially businesses of color, put friction in our process. Yeah, we put barriers to allow from allowing our customers to buy something. intentionally or just uh, subconsciously. It just happens. It just it, it happens. Okay, you know, uh, I'm I I don't you know I I don't want people to buy you know that I only I know who my customer is. You know, but everybody should be a customer because you should be willing to onboard you, everybody. You should be willing to. You should target certain individuals, right. but allow everyone the access to to buy. So, for instance, one of the barriers to entry for the dollar van industry. Mm-hmm. What is it? They don't accept credit cards. It's how you go around that. You know, so they. But historically, they've never grown because they didn't grow as how you and know the times change. I mean, not only credit cards, but we in the Bitcoin at this point. Yeah, you know, yeah. and cryptocurrency. Like, forget about yeah. you, got, you. You two innovations behind at this point. Yeah, you know, and far too many of our industries that we own historically, uh-huh. businesses that we own, we have never innovated. We've never saw the, the 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 changes in the marketplace and been able to innovate and pivot our businesses, whether it be a pandemic, for mm-hmm. instance. How am I going to pivot my business? You know, there's a lot of um, clothing providers out there that pivoted during the pandemic to to make masks. Yeah. yeah. You know, people actually I know PPE. someone. Yeah. PPE protection. Um, but I know actually someone that had was doing alcohol and. They were, they would, they they have a manufacturer, they're a distillery, and they were uh, producing a lot of uh, vodka, right? Mm-hmm. But not only for them, because they have their own brand, but they were also distilling for other companies as well. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, during the time of the pandemic, um, the government came to them and was like, hey, listen, we need you to manufacture as m- much hand sanitizer because you have the facility to do it. Absolutely. And they pivot and they turn around and started doing um hand hand sanitizers and they were cutting checks and they were doing very well with it right the, because not only was the government providing that because you know for safety reasons because of what was happening it was uncertainties um but also that not only that she gained profit but she gained a relationship 
and she was able to pivot. But she transitioned back ultimately to selling yeah. alcohol. But that, at that point, to your point, is that sometimes we have to pivot and go a different direction until things stabilize, or maybe it may not stabilize, but at least you have a, a different foundation yep. that you can yep. go back and forth with. It's you, you're you're bringing up a so I, I'm a, a graduate of the. Uh, Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program. I read that as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's one of the, probably one of the best experiences that mm. I've had um, as a professional. Forget about it as an entrepreneur, as a professional. Um, it talks, the, the program always talks about um, your growth, what, what your growth strategy is, right? Mm -hmm. And that's actually what pivoted us to to being a, not just a marketing agency, but a growth agency. We only work with companies that are looking to grow and in some sector or in your entire business. Mm -hmm. Again, remember we talked about market share. If you're looking to maintain market share, I can't help you. I just can't. Right, right. You know, I'm not good at maintaining. It's like, mm -hmm. for instance, it, it actually takes a very strong skill set to maintain, more, a stronger skill set to maintain market share than it is to increase or decrease. It's like, for instance, if I told you to stay at the same weight, you know how hard that is? Mm -mm. It's literally impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. yeah. You're either going to gain or you're going to lose. Lose, yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you got to have this sick discipline. <laughs> you have to have amazing discipline <laughs> yeah. to stay at the same weight, mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, for, for us, you know, as a quote unquote pivoting to a growth agency, um, especially during the pandemic. We had to find out what is important to people who grow. And that's when I went back to my days at Goldman Sachs and said, what were the, the tenants? What were the, the things that they focused on? And Goldman Sachs is, you know, one of the biggest top, you know, top tier. In, yeah. in, you know, in the world. Um, and it was about focusing on two things, revenue and employees. I can teach you everything else. Mm -hmm. Right. But you scale, you grow at a rapid pace by growing your revenue and increasing the number of employees. A lot of people focus on how can I tweak my profit margins? Yes, you can focus on that, but you can't tweak your profit margins if you're not growing in revenue. True. That's 1,000. You know, um, if you have the same revenue, yeah, you can, you know, tinker. But while you're tinkering, remember, you can't maintain that same, you know, yeah. revenue. It You're is, just going to retract on yourself and right. go the opposite way. Sustainability only lasts if you're able to, I, even if you stay at that same um, cash flow, within the same cash flow or the same profit margins, sustainability will only last you for so long because other things may occur. Yes. Other responsibilities, outside, outside, other, factors. Uh, outside factors. Yep. So that's why it's imperative that you grow your business because at some point, even if you're maintaining, you can only sustain for that basic function, functionalities that you have. But then when other things come in play, you need funding for that as well. Yeah. So yeah. If other projects as well. So I, I think that you're absolutely right. Uh, one last thing I want to touch on, because I know you were a part of the Brooklyn Commerce. Chamber of Commerce. Yep. Yeah, Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce. Um, you were a part of the board, right? Yeah, I sit on the board. Yeah. How was that like? 
Um, that experience. It's it's been interesting. So we first became. Uh, I, I didn't know anything about a chamber of commerce to be honest with you, mm-hmm. and we we came to them through our relationship. We were actually looking for health insurance for the um, company. For the company. And at the time, and again, it's funny because everything is a historical context, right? This is before the age of Obama. So before Obamacare, right? We had these things in New York City or New York State called marketplaces, right? And they offered a marketplace where companies or groups of organizations could come together and compete to get Health insurance. Health insurance. <clears throat> Interesting. So they had this thing called Brooklyn Health Works, mm-hmm. where the small businesses that were in this group would negotiate. There would be a, a negotiator who would go to New York State and get New York State health insurance at a reduced price. So I would get hit up by these these uh, these brokers. Hey, I can offer you. I said, this is how much I'm paying. All right. Thanks for your time. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> Because, I mean, we had the cheapest, and it was through GHI, mm-hmm. great, great insurance. Wow. You know, and look, I am a huge supporter of Obamacare. It killed the marketplace. It decimated the marketplace. It was a hack. Mm. It was a hack for small businesses. They took the marketplace and made it basically global across the country, um, providing uh, health insurance, not only for business owners, but anyone, you know, at a negotiated rate with these, these health insurance, um, providers. The problem is the health insurance provider said, well, if I am forced to now have to, you know, compete with other providers for, for your business, Mm -hmm. I am going to provide a much more vanilla version of my services. Mm -hmm. Um, so that I can maximize my profit and business together, you mm-hmm. know, uh, as well. And that's where, you know, a lot of things like where I would be able to tweak a drug card and say, Hey, I want it, you know, if I'm not really that old and mm-hmm. I don't have pharmaceuticals that I need to go to a pharmacy to, to I don't need a drug card, mm-hmm. but I want to pay a lower copay. And I don't go to the hospital, so I don't, you know, maybe my co-insurance is a little bit higher. You know, I could tweak all that. Now they just give you, here's, the, here's what it is. Right, 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 right. Here's what it is. And that's a result of Obamacare. Anyway, that's how I came to the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. And more specifically, the MWB Committee, which is um, the Minority and Women Business Enterprise Committee. Um it's a certification program that they have here in the city and state. They have a, a, a federal program called the 8A program as well, mm-hmm. um, as well as like disadvantaged business enterprises. Um, really uh, helpful for specific industries because what it does is with the certification, it will, a, a lot of organizations, federal, um, state, as well as city um uh, organizations are required to have a certain percentage of the subcontract mm-hmm. or of a contract go to M minorities or women business enterprise. Historically, unfortunately, those have been white women mm. because minorities don't know about it. And we just 
those that do know about it complain about them not being able to access it. Hey, you got to get your stuff together. Right, right. You know, you don't have a P&L. You don't know what a balance sheet is. You know, just providing your financials. You know, you should have all of that stuff ready um, and have a strategy. It's not just about here's my paperwork, you know, let's run. Um, you know, it's like one of my favorite shows is The Wire. I have two favorite shows. Obviously, Breaking Bad. Yeah. And, <laughs> and all-time favorite show and The Wire, depending on, um, you know, day of the week. But, um, you know, in, in The Wire, they talk about, like, you know, how you, you, can't, you can't run your business like, like a drug operation. Right. You know what I'm saying? You got to be ready to run with the big boys as a, you got to have your paperwork in order. Right, right. Absolutely. You know, if you're going to be a legitimate business. And far too often, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, look, being an entrepreneur is about hiding, hiding a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. hiding the, the imperfections and all of the things mm -hmm, that, mm -hmm, you, you know, mm -hmm. you don't want people to yeah. see, right? And project an image, you know, whether it's your website or your marketing, that is the best version of yourself. Right. But when you go into the federal government, the federal government wants to see all that. Mm -hmm. You know, how much money is in your bank? You know, your bank account? What do you, What does your balance sheet look like? You know, what? who are you? Right. <laughs> in essence, <laughs> who, are, who you are you? Right. You know, and um, so that's where those those programs have, have, have fallen short. Um a lot of it goes to construction organizations, you know, construction companies because of the capital investment involved in construction, mm -hmm. right? Um, but like, for instance, when I first started with the, the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce, we got a bunch of um, Black-owned barbers, you know, Black barbershops, um, MWBB certified. And I told them why, they were like, why would we get, it doesn't make sense to get barbershops certified. I said, why not? said it doesn't matter if they get certified. So one of the things that they did is almost every black barbershop is closed on Monday, right? Right. I don't know why, it's just the way it is. <laughs> They're closed on Monday. Yeah. I guess because nobody wants to get a cut on Monday. On Monday, yeah. If you were going to get a cut, you was getting fresh for the weekend, right? That's a good point. <laughs> Monday point. is too solid. far from the weekend, yeah, so true. let's close on Monday, right? Yeah. And that's so, probably like the best day when right. you think about it, right? So we approached these, these barbershops and said, well, since you guys are closed on Monday, why don't we get you a contract cutting hair at um, nursing homes? Mm. And, you know, this series, I think it was 16 barbershops across the state, um, a $200,000 contract to cut these old folks home, uh, in an old folks home. Cutting hair, and it wasn't about parts and you know uh, fades and nothing like that. Just making sure that the hair was cut. I mean, the sustainability of that. I have a five-year contract cutting yeah. these old folks' hair. They ain't gonna even last five years, most of these folks. Yeah. But I still have this contract that provides me the stability in my business that I can hire a new barber, maybe even expand into a new location. That's so true. You know, and it's these are programs that are out there. But we're we not tapping. We don't take advantage of. Yeah. So that's where the, the, the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce, you know, and it's funny because I've over the years I've said to myself, and I think this was 06, 
no, 2012, excuse me, 2012 when we first became members of the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce. And I've tried to audit how much business has come, come down that pike. Um, it's never been direct. It's been about the relationships that I've developed as a result of my, you know, being not only on the board, but also being um, connected with the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce. Um, you know, I've, for instance, I, I've worked directly um, work with Aviator Sports and Event Center, mm -hmm. which is out in Floyd Bennett Field. Um, as a direct result of, uh, you know, I, I had a client, I can't mention their name, but representing an, an industry that historically, uh, historically um, was not good to our people. And mm. they were trying to sort of change that, that, that image, that image and that messaging. Mm -hmm. And we really focused on, on sort of the, how they were branded. Um, and how they they came back and approached you know um, our community, um, but it, it's been about three main facets. And I'll, I'll leave it at this: is three main facets, right? It's about um, alignment, enablement, and measurement, right? And it's aligning your goals with your ability to achieve them, mm. right? Enabling the technology and tools that you need to actually reach your goals and the effectiveness to be able to measure them. Mm -hmm. You know? That last piece is, uh, the measuring is, part is, is, is very, very important key. because yeah. a lot of people spend a lot of time activating, you know, in, in the hamster wheel mm -hmm. and they never take, a, take stock to look at, you know, whether or not something worked or, or didn't work. We mm -hmm. had a client, um, St. Joseph's College, matter of fact, that um, we're spending a lot of, if you, you know, historically schools spend a lot of money. We, we've done a, very well with schools. Um, we're spending a lot of money at the time before the pandemic mm -hmm. and what they, the, the ads before movies started, right? Um, so, you know, like when you sit in a movie theater, you see the ads. Up right, 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 right. So because they had no way to measure, they knew that they were getting a lot of students. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know where that was coming from. They might put it on the application, but who the heck is filling that out? Yeah. yeah you know, oh, yeah. I found out about you, uh, whatever the thing is. Right, the, the right. First box. Right, right. Whatever the first box is, right? But what they realized was all of the money that they were spending, they got zero return. And we, you know, I won't get into the mechanism of how we started to measure that, mm -hmm. but we, we showed them that they could cut out that entire budget line. Mm -hmm. and reallocate somewhere else. So you, you f found a better process for them. Yeah. Especially in uh, this way, you can measure it properly. It has to be It has to be measured yeah. and all measured against your goals. Yeah. And that's one thing I got a friend, T, he always says this. He says, listen, we, we got to look at what success looked like. And then once we realize what success looked like, yes. then we can dice into it and, and yes. say, all right, this is working. This is not working. How do you define success? How, how do you define this? success is another key point too. But knowing what success looks like makes it a lot easier for you to see if you're reaching your goals or not. Yeah. 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 All right, man. This spins great, brother. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Salute. man. Appreciate yeah. it. We're going to do it again. So uh, please let people know where they can reach you and um, social media or any contact information where your know, website. Sure. Our website is hybridmedia.com. Um, 
And it's actually, well, hybrid media or hybrid.com. Both you'll find us at both places is H I G H B R I D.com or at hybrid media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, me personally, I'm at ski stylist. That actually was my DJ name when I was in high school. Yeah. You still got skills? Uh, not really. <laughs> not, not really. I'll, I'll be honest about that. I'm, I'm, I have some, you know, but uh, yeah, it was my DJ name in uh, in high school and, and college. Reason being is because Juan Perez is such a common name. Yes. It's like impossible to get a handle yeah. on any platform. So I said, well, I got to brand myself a little bit differently. So that's ASCII Stylus, which is S K E E S T Y L U S um, on, on almost any, any platform, including Pinterest. So good talk, brother. <laughs> My man. Yeah, a really good good yeah. conversation. I you know, like I said, I I didn't think we would go in that that uh direction as far as some of this stuff, like especially nah, hip hop stuff. Deep. Yeah, yeah. Oh, bro. That was deep, bro. Yeah, it was good, good combo.